This is Wellbeing Well Said, the podcast with me, Sarah Maloof. Join me as I chat with fitness gurus, business owners, wellness experts, and other inspiring individuals as together we dive into what it means to live well. All right, welcome back. We have another exciting repeat guest today. Bailey Henry is back with me. If you have not listened to her prior episode, I just went and looked at episode 61. I've linked it in the show notes. I highly recommend going back and listening to that one first to get a play-by-play of her life. Not really a play-by-play, a summary that you can put in 30 minutes or whatever it was leading up to the point where she was at the end of last year, but so much life has happened since she and I last connected. Now, if you're like, who is Bailey? Why do I need to listen to her and catch up on her story in her life? She is such an inspiring woman in my local Mississippi community, but she is an author, speaker, podcast host, and women's health advocate. She published her first book last year called having a baby and other things I'm bad at. You might have heard me talk about that talk about that here before or on Instagram. I loved that book. It made me laugh. It made me cry. It really just spoke to me in such a powerful way as a woman and now as a 30-something-year-old who has friends in her life who have struggled with things like infertility and miscarriage. It's just a beautiful it's, – it's beautifully written, and I highly recommend reading that book. She also more recently created the Miscarriage Guide – For women to have after they suffer pregnancy loss, Bailey herself has gone through six miscarriages, trigger warning. Um, We'll talk a lot about infertility, but we're also going to talk a lot about really hopeful, hopeful and exciting, just positive news that's been going on in her life and a message that she has to share with others. And um, she's a wife. She's a mom. She's an open book. She's amazing. She's written several other guides too, more recently. And what I love about what Bailey's done is she really comes at this motherhood angle in a way that's relatable and speaks to not just one type of mom or hopeful mom to be, but a lot of people in and around the motherhood circles, meaning that she speaks to someone who can relate with miscarriage, relate to infertility, but also now she herself has recently gone through the foster process and is adopting her little boy. Who's precious. We talk a lot about that today. So she talks about life as a mom, life as a mom, as a, of a young child an adopted child. She also speaks to those who maybe aren't in the shoes of motherhood or hoping to be a mother, but are around people who are moms or who are struggling with miscarriages themselves and just how to relate to them, how to be there for them and support those people, how to show up with grace. It's a really great conversation. We go all around this topic today. And it's really not just again, for anyone who's a mom or a hopeful mom, if you are someone who hopes to show a little more empathy in the world, <laughs> I highly recommend listening to this episode. Bailey, thank you so much for being here. Like I said, y'all go back and listen to epi- episode 61 first if you need to. But without further ado, Bailey Henry, so glad to have you back on Wellbeing Well Said. Welcome back, Bailey. I'm so happy to have you returning as a guest on Wellbeing Well Said. Thank you so much for having me. So much life has happened since, not since you and I spoke in general, because, you know, we're friends, we're in the same circles, but since you were actually behind the microphone with me, oh my goodness, we have some updating to do, don't we? We do. I know it's been a lot. I'm going to refer back. I'm going to be sure to link your first episode in the show notes. So people go back and listen to that. If you have not already to get a more in-depth 
just understanding of Bailey and her story and her, who she is, her message, but brief us a little bit on where we left off. And then we can dive into what's happened in the last six months here. <laughs> yeah. So the last time you had me on, it was November of last year. It was right before Thanksgiving. And I was just sort of on, you know, a mini very grassroots book tour, right? I was pushing um, my book, Having a Baby and Other Things I'm Bad At. I had just written something, I think, yeah, I'd just written The Miscarriage Guide mm -hmm. um, and trying to get that out into as many hands as possible. And then you and I, I mean, you know, it was a good conversation and that's all we talked about was just the book and my history with infertility. And then we hung up and I said, by the way, I have a child. <laughs> so, you really threw that one on me. <laughs> I did. Um, by the way, we are hiding our son. Nobody knows that we have him yet. So yeah, we, um, oh God, where do I even begin? Last May, when I had my sixth miscarriage, three weeks later to the day, almost down to the hour, our son moved home with us. Um, and it was just such a God story, God's timing. Um, he'd put it on our hearts a long, long time ago to register to become foster parents. Um, and my husband and I both were pretty hesitant about that for a lot of reasons. Um, but we were just trying to be obedient and faithful. And so we registered to be foster parents. And um, about six or seven months later, he sent us our son. And, um, so we've just been parents and, and still just trying to survive. And my husband still has the same job and I'm still trying to sell books and do events and, uh, you know, talk about my miscarriage guide and my grief guides, but yeah, we've been parents for over a year now and, um, I'm just super tired. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. I want, I want your opinion on this because this is something that not a lot of people can relate to in the sense that I don't want to even say typically, but in, let's say the stereotypical way of becoming a mother is by conceiving, being pregnant, having a baby, raising your child from there. Yeah. You didn't have that nine to 10 month period of mental preparation and outside preparation and getting the room together. It was just like, you went yeah. from not being a mom to being a mom. So Overnight. quick. So what was yeah. that transition like for you? Oh my God. Beautiful and terrifying and exhausting. And I looked at my husband a couple of weeks ago and I'm like, do you remember anything of like that first month? Like we don't remember anything. And I think that's the same, you know, if you have biological children and you do get the full nine months to prepare anyway, it's just your life flips on its head. Um, but you know, we were still I was postpartum from a miscarriage. It was a traumatic birth. I lost that baby at the doctor's office and my child just kind of fell out of me. And then three weeks later, we are the parents of a 21 month old little boy and overnight. And you know, what's so funny, Sarah, is that I tried not to read too much about like growth charts, like what to expect where he is. Um, we, so we were just clueless on everything. Like 
I remember texting a friend of mine. I'm like, how often does your toddler eat popcorn? Because like, Sam just can't get enough. Like he's obsessed with popcorn. And she's like, yeah, we've never had it. The books say to wait until they're like three. And I'm like, okay, cool. Well, my child came to me with a full set of teeth. So we're just eating all sorts of things <laughs> over here. <laughs> like, we were just flying by the seat of our pants. Had no idea what it, what we were doing. We still don't. I don't think anybody does, but. <laughs> and um, how has the transition been for him? What have you seen in his little mind and emotions and the way he's adapted into your home? Oh my gosh. Um, the transition for all of us, though it was exhausting and it was quick, it was the most natural thing. Um, we can't remember our lives before him. And he walked, waddled, waddled really for his little <laughs> toddler walk, waddled right into our front door and sat down in my husband's lap and petted the dog. And I mean, we've just been connected since that very first day. So it, the transition for him has been to watch him come out of his shell. He was pretty shy at first, um, but just to watch him. I don't, I don't know. It's just been the most beautiful transition for all of us. Mm -hmm. How has your perspective on motherhood shifted <laughs> since oh <my> God. <laughs> So the way maybe you looked at it or even expected it to be? Cause I'm sure, especially while you were pregnant throughout your miscarriages, you had some standards in your mind of what this would look like when you had sure. this child <clears throat> yeah. versus now being a mother, how, what kind of shifts have you seen mentally, emotionally, physically, anything? So I've always said, um, I, I, maybe I've edited this quote, but I know I didn't come up with the idea of it, but I was the world's best mother before I actually became a mother, right? Mm -hmm. You have all these standards and ideas and, you know, these things, well, I will never do that. My child will never do that. Well, my child who I said would always eat organic and I would, you know, home <laughs> make homemade baby food. Um, he had gas station chicken last week, like three nights in a row. So <laughs> we're just, you just eat a very big slice of humble pie and you look at all the women around you who are mothers and you're like, God, you're, we're just doing the best we can. And you, you make these decisions that you never think that you would make. And you make sacrifices that you don't think that you would make. And I was talking to a friend of mine today about you know, just motherhood. And she's like, I had to make sacrifices, not only in my career, but like, I'm pretty OCD and I like a clean house and I like everything in its place. And my two children do not even acknowledge that mommy likes to have things organized and not cluttered, but here comes Legos and everything in the middle of the room. And you, I don't know, it's, and I always thought, oh my gosh, I, the same person I'm going to be the same person, right? Like I'm just going to have a child and I'm just going to be a mom, but I'm still going to be the exact same Bailey who I was. And for me that I, I am a different person on like a cellular level after okay. becoming a mom. So what does that look like? And I want to get really granular here because I hear moms almost you know, in my life or on podcasts or on TV, whatever, I've heard different versions of this from different people. There's a little bit of probably an identity crisis in becoming oh, a mom. Yeah. You lose this fear of, I don't want to lose myself, but then like, I'm totally losing myself, but then I've never been more fulfilled in my life. But then 
I'm lost and confused. And every day I'm just hanging on by a thread and all this just yeah. mix of emotions and confusion on like, where's Bailey in this? Like, oh. how am I, how am I a either evolving in, in a good way, losing quote, losing myself in a sense that it's good because it's progressing me forward. I'm becoming just a better version of myself, not losing myself, a different version of myself. But then also on the other hand, that sense of wanting to cling to who you are, what you love, what drives you, what makes you while being the best mom you can be. Oh, yeah. All that. <laughs> like it's, I don't even know how to answer that. Like it's you. And and I'll tell you this, the way that you phrase that, I you, you even feel guilty of like, what about Bailey? Well, it's not about Bailey anymore. It's about a little boy who won't listen to me today, to be honest with you. And he loves his blocks more than he loves me. And, um, it's, you cling to anything of yourself and personally speaking, to be able to answer that question. Like I never thought that I would work as a mom, right? Like I made all these plans, especially in the middle of our like infertility journey. I would look at my husband and say, there's just no way, like we need to prepare our schedule. We need to prepare our home financially. Uh, I'm going to be a stay-at-home mother. Whenever motherhood comes to me, however it comes to me, I'm just going to be a stay-at-home mom. Let me tell you something. Stay-at-home mothers have earned their acres in heaven, and I am not cut from that cloth. I just, and I didn't know that by the time our son came home to us, that I would be super busy, right? And kind of like self-employed for the first time in my life. I, I didn't know that any of that was going to happen. But you you just look around and you try to cling to any shred of who you are and, and that self-care. But people misconstrue, you know, self-care with selfishness. Sometimes I feel like, especially for moms, it's that mom shaming of you want to do a little bit, a little something for you. But then, you know, it's that question of like, well, where's your child? Who's taking care of your child, right? So it's just been, it's a constant battle of trying to be the best mom you can possibly be and the best person you can be and growing and being humble and loving. It's just been the wildest thing to to figure out. But I can only imagine that in order to be the best mom that you can be, there's things that you have to do for you in turn for your child. <laughs> sure. Or else yeah. You would be. No, you're breaking. absolutely right. Yeah. Had I not, um, <laughs> tore my calf muscle this weekend. Um, I, I know it's always something. Um, I've been walking like three miles every day in the morning. First thing I drop him off at school. I go to my favorite park and I walk three miles and that's you do. You have to do little things like that to, for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And this is a personal question. Feel free to only answer to the extent of what your husband will be comfortable <laughs> with, but okay. how has parenthood affected you as a wife and the two of you as a married couple? Oh my gosh. Good or bad. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, he, he knows I'm an open book. Um, I think it's made us respect each other mm. a whole lot more. I respect him as a father. Um, and that's another thing that's just so, so unfair. I'll go ahead and tell you, he's 10 times more sexy to me as a dad, <laughs> but then I'm over here. Just, I feel like I look haggard and tired all the time. And I feel like you'll appreciate this with what you do with like the skin consults and all that. Mm -hmm. There is such unfair trickery 
Okay. Between the ages of 30 and 40 for men and 30 and 40 for women. Oh yeah. They become they, silver foxes oh or whatever God. you want to call they just, it. Yeah, yes. Like, they hit their stride. Their crow's feet are just so attractive. My husband's got like gray <laughs> hair in his beard and it's just the yummiest thing. And then I wake up every morning and I'm like, puffy and my crow's feet are not that cute and my hair is dry and I just feel like I'm like what is this I've had this conversation before it's it's totally not fair right but no you look phenomenal you don't look like you're aging poorly but I totally hear you and I can only imagine motherhood on top of that it's like I'm tired and you can see it (laughs) yes yes and and I do remember I don't know all of my friends became moms before I did and there was always that thing like you look at pictures before they were parents and then after they were parents and you're like no they still look beautiful they still look the same but it's just different and I I don't think I can recognize that in my own photos but I'm sure other people can see it on me Hmm. but it's that permanent shift of I now love another human being so much more than I could ever imagine. I love them more than I love myself. And that will never go away. Mm. And that worry for them will be a constant until the day that I die. Like Mm -hmm. it's a very noticeable difference. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. I haven't thought about that before. I want to go back. You mentioned what I would summarize as grace, this grace that you found for moms in general that you've had to find for yourself and becoming a mom. And I think that's such, that's like a lost art, you know, showing grace to people. It's something that we don't tend to do very often nowadays. We, it's very polarizing, especially in the world of social media and not agreeing with each other. What kind of grace have you been able to then extend onto others? And I want to, I want to get I don't, let me further explain that. It's like in your day-to-day life, do you see and relate to people differently knowing they're doing the best they can mom or not mm-hmm. has this shift internally become an outward expression of how you can better serve others and show grace to others and just understand and even just converse with others. That's a lot yes, speaking of it is, having yeah. conversations, knowing people are just doing the best they can with what they have and how they know how to survive that day. <laughs> yeah. What does that look like practicality, like in your life? So I I don't think I'm good at it every single day, but when, you know, when Samuel first moved home with us, you're in that honeymoon phase, right? Like you are so thankful that God orchestrated. And and let me stop here and say the, the situation in which he became our son was very strategic. It was not an organic foster placement. Mm -hmm. Um, It was, it was a planned placement. Um, so that's, that's all I'll say about that. So, because most of the time people hear stories like mine and they're like, well, they registered to become foster parents and then, and it it all worked out. That's not across the board. Don't look at my story and think that your foster placement is going to work out. I just, I I like to warn people about that. Mm -hmm. Um, but when he first moved home with us, you're on, you're in that honeymoon phase of this love and connection and you're in awe of everything right you're in awe of God and his goodness you're in awe of your partner and how well they're hitting their stride and fatherhood you're kind of in awe of yourself because you're exhausted but you're just taking it you know day by day 
And so when we would like go to the grocery store, I would look at every single human being and I'm like, they all started out. We all started out as babies, right? We're, We're all somebody's child. And then specifically, you know, for women, I, if I ran into somebody at the grocery store who had a screaming child, I used to sort of be like, oh, get your kid under control. Mm-hmm. And, and now I'm like, honey, do you need anything? I think I've got like a Lara bar in my purse. Like, do you need something? Like, <laughs> do, are you okay? We're all just doing the best that we can. And you do, you, it, my husband isn't, isn't great about that. Like he's a very impatient person, especially in the car. But I'm like, Kyle, they're doing the best that they can. If we get stuck in a traffic jam or if somebody, um, you know, gets in our way at the grocery store, whatever. And I'm like, you don't know what kind of day they're having. Mm-hmm. Like, that's all I've, I've been thinking about, you know, over the last year is that you just don't know what kind of battles. And that's so cliche, but it's true. You don't know what kind of battles people are fighting on their own. So just that grace extended of like, are you having a bad day? Could be the best day of your life, worst day of their life, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Okay. Speaking of not knowing what someone's going through and wanting to show grace and wanting to show up best for people. Tell me about these guides that you've recently made. We know about the miscarriage guide Yeah. and you have created a grief guide. Yeah. Will you tell us about what's been going on your latest projects? And I think it's a brilliant idea. So expand upon that if you, if you don't mind. Thank you. Yeah. So I have two guides on my website. Um, one is called the women's guide to grief. And that is specifically like miscarriage grief and infertility grief. And I walk you through what has helped me and some journaling things and really how to set up boundaries for people who don't understand what you're going through self-preservation. Um, because infertility is the loneliest thing I've ever been through. And even though I know other women go through it, it's just so lonely and so isolating. And I, you know, I wrote this in my book. It's like all these women are invited to the same party, but you show up alone, right? Because it's just so, I don't know. It's just, you feel just desperately lonely. And um, so I wrote that for women. Um, That would be a guide that like you buy for yourself. You read it for yourself. You do the work on your own. And then the other one is called a friend of a friend's guide to grief. And that is for, and I've been very honest about this. My infertility journey was really hard on me and my mother's relationship. She didn't know what to say. She didn't know how to help me. She didn't know what to do, what to give, what not to give. And so that guide is for, excuse me, like the family members or friends or coworkers of the women going through infertility. And I wrote it sort of like a love letter to these people who just don't understand. And I'm like, Hey guys, you can't fix this for her. You're not supposed to fix this for her, but here's some tangible things that you can do to either show up or not let infertility destroy whatever relationship you have to the woman or the couple who's trying to grow their family. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've gotten really great feedback from that. Um, but it's just been, it was kind of when I came up with it, I'm like, oh gosh, this is a no brainer. Like this is the stuff that I needed when I was going through infertility. I needed somebody to hold my hand and tell me it was okay to not go to baby showers. Like you're not going to be a bad friend if you don't go to somebody's baby shower Mm -hmm. right after you have your own miscarriage. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the friend of a friend's guide, I'm like, gosh, I wish this was the stuff that my mom could have had access to. 
Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to, you know, preserve relationships and hurt feelings because infertility is rough enough as it is. Mm-hmm. And is this speaking strictly from your personal experiences or is this universal across the board? You think as far as I'm speaking from my perspective, being a friend of a friend, right? Do you think there are certain things that just everyone handles the same or needs to know, or it's best. I mean, I know you've spoken to so many women, so I'm just interested to hear your thoughts on after all you've been through six times, after all you've heard from women who have been in your shoes or something like it, you've been taking all these different informations. I'm sure you've had women on one side of the spectrum with one personality. And then on Mm -hmm. the other, with a totally different personality, one family dynamic versus another, what made you choose what you chose to put in these guides? That's a good question for the women going through that. Um, I did a a little bit of research and, you know, sort of polled some friends like, Hey, this is right. Right. And like, you felt this when you were going through your miscarriage and they would say yes. And so I felt pretty confident about putting that in there, but on the friend of a friend's guide, I put a lot of disclaimers in there. Like, you know, after you find out that your coworker has had a miscarriage and she's not going to be into work for a couple of days, send her a cup of coffee, Venmo her, you know, seven bucks for a cup of coffee. Now, if caffeine gives her a headache, you can also send flowers or if she's allergic to flowers, buy her a gas gift card or whatever. You know, there's always that contingency, know who you're talking to, know who you're working with. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, it's, you know, and I did, I put some examples in there. I'm like, don't buy people baby gifts as like the hopeful one day pray mm-hmm. harder and your miracle will come kind of a thing. I'm like, don't, don't do any of that, but mm-hmm. send little small things, but just know who you're, know the woman that you're reading this for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because like we've been saying throughout this conversation, people are just doing what they know best and what they know how to do. And I, highly doubt that in most cases, people are coming from a place of trying to trigger you when it comes to this and they're thinking what they're doing is sweet and helpful. And they just don't know. They just don't know. And I'm, I'm sure I've been the friend who just didn't know, like you want to be there and you don't know how you want to have an emotional connection for someone you love to know that you're there to support them. But what, you know, there's nothing you can say if you have, if you genuinely cannot relate to what they're going through. And I think that what you're doing with the grief guides is great. You mentioned a word boundaries. Mm. Boundaries is a word that (laughs) maybe is misused a lot. Maybe is not used enough. I think it depends on the circumstance and I would love for you to expand upon boundaries when it specifically comes to either a, you actually mentioned it first. I think when you're talking about the own, your own grief guide or your own guide for someone who was going through it, what Mm -hmm. kind of boundaries you have to set as the one going through it. And then on the flip side, what do boundaries look like as someone who is objectively standing on the sideline, watching this go down, just wanting to be there for the person going through it. Yeah. Oh, that's so funny that you use the word sideline. Cause I sort of painted an analogy in the friend of a friend's grief guide. I'm like, if you're, if your loved one who's trying to grow their family, right. If they're playing a football game and you're cheering on the sideline, could you even imagine, I'm not an athlete and I've never played a sport a day in my life, but I would imagine it would be incredibly distracting to be head in the game and you're trying to get something done and you have a goal to accomplish. And all you can hear from the sidelines is how other people would do it better, right? Mm-hmm. How other people scored their touchdown, how other people, you know, 
finally conceived or adopted or had a surrogate or whatever. You're just head in the game trying to figure out what your next move is. And all these people, they think they're being helpful. They're doing it from a place of love, but they're just screaming at you at the <laughs> very, very wrong time. So yeah, the that's a great analogy. That's a great, that, thank you. that vision that puts it into perspective for me. Yeah. For sure. Boundaries are so hard. And I agree with you that that term is often misused or not used enough or used as a crutch just mm -hmm. to shut people down. And I'm at the place now in my life, if you want to cut somebody out of your life, snip, snip, like you don't really owe anybody mm -hmm. an explanation. Um, but certainly boundaries for the woman who is going through infertility. Like I said, if a boundary for yourself, you're not a bad person if you skip a baby shower or two or three. Um, at one point in my infertility journey, I looked up and I had 36 friends who were pregnant. Mm. That's just right. I mean, who, uh, but you would have to be going through something like infertility to sit down and count and make a list of names of how many people that you knew who were pregnant at that time, right? And so, not looking at social media, you're not being a grump yourself, preserving your feelings about the next pregnancy announcement that's going to come through. Um, and certainly, you know, I've had a lot of friends going through IVF um, and, and their families don't understand it. Their in-laws don't understand it. And a boundary, I've always said this, this can best summarize your whole question you can give people an education or you can give them a boundary, but you do not have to give them your best. And that means if someone says something and, you know, take infertility out of the conversation, this could apply for anything. If someone says something to you that is hurtful or um, sort of a dig and they don't realize it is or it's kind of offensive Tell them why. Say, hey, I think you're, I think you really meant to be funny. Um, but actually, my husband and I have had several miscarriages and we've paid a small fortune, you know, to a doctor's office to try to grow our family. So I can appreciate how you thought that, that would land as a joke. Um, but actually it's it's really hurtful. So please, you know, learn better for next time, right? That's an education. Or <clears throat> excuse me, if they keep going and they do it again, then you set up a boundary and say, hey, you made that joke last Christmas. It's not funny at Easter. So Aunt Jojo or whatever, I'm going to sit you down and say, you're not going to say things like that to me anymore. And that's just not going to happen. Because so often, especially for women going through infertility around the holidays, right? And it's always like a grandma-in-law or, you know, a sister-in-law or whoever, they just keep digging and they say hurtful things and, and those boundaries have to come up for yourself. I'm like, okay. And then you go through the checklist. Did I tell them why that hurts my feelings? Did I give them that education? No, I don't think I did. Okay. So we'll start over. We'll do that. No, I did. I told them at Christmas dinner that they can't make jokes about me and my husband's sex life because we can't get pregnant. Um, so you educate them give them a boundary, but you don't have to sit there and subject yourself at Christmas dinner to, to put a smile on your face and give them your best when you're just dying inside 
because you're exhausted because you're trying to grow your family. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I can only imagine that's funny. I feel like the reason people don't always set up boundaries for themselves is because they feel awkward or that they're going to come across as being rude or mean or sensitive or whatever adjective, which in all reality, the way you're explaining it, there's so many ways that you can kindly and gently explain, you know, initially what it is you're going through, why that hurt you. And if the person's right. on your side and they're again, probably their intention wasn't to actually hurt your feelings in a way that like is so abrupt. And so if you explain that why it was hurtful to you, hopefully they ease up and change their dialogue and life goes on. And it's funny because what you're trying to avoid, if you don't set boundaries on the front end, is probably what's going to happen on at a later date, the snapping or the outburst or the, just the, just all of a sudden built up anger just comes out in a way that is definitely maybe could have been a little more said with a little more grace, ease, um, politeness, kindness, gentleness, anything you want to put in there. And not that you always have to be those adjectives, but if it's someone you love, you obviously aren't trying to hurt them back either. And I just think it's funny. It's like what as women and not just infertility issues, but in general, I feel like we tiptoe around so much to avoid certain personas or adjectives being stuck on us. And then sometimes that comes anyway, (laughs) whether or not we try to avoid it for how long and however long. And sometimes it's very unintentional and it's better to just be open in the sense of communication. I think communication is just so core from either side of a relationship. If you're going to grow or continue a relationship, if you so choose how can it grow without any kind of communication, even the right. hard communication that might be a little awkward but in the long run. So beneficial. I mean, am I right? Is this something you've seen or done maybe like where you didn't set up a correct boundary and things were like way far gone by the time you had to backtrack and set it up later? No. And it's not fair to anybody when you have to backtrack because then you blame yourself and you're like, I should have said something different or I shouldn't have said anything at all in the first place. Because I think now Sarah, with the way the world is and life is, and we're trying to survive a pandemic and a recession and raise our kids and, you know, take care of our skin and just survive. Right. There's so there's our time is so precious. So definitely setting up those boundaries and having open communication with kindness and tactfulness, you know, the first go around, Cause once you're done, aren't, aren't we all done? Aren't you like after a while, are you're just like, well, I tried. Okay. Whatever. Throw in the towel. <laughs> and then we just sort of walk away and give up. Okay. Well, thank you for all of this, but speaking of boundaries, you mentioned earlier that you're a, um, earlier that you're an open book. Your husband knows this. You joked about it. One way I know you're very open and vocal is through (laughs) your podcast, something else you have launched that has changed since we last spoke. Why don't you tell us about your show and your co-host and your messaging behind it and just all of the things. So yeah, definitely didn't see a podcast coming, but around the time that you and I had our first conversation in November, I met a woman named Ashley Worthington on Instagram. She's from Brandon, but she lives in Nashville currently. And she, um, she put out a video about her horrible miscarriage experience and like four different people sent it to me. And so I'm like, okay, I need to, I need to talk to this girl. And it was one of those odd things. Like you think you're just going to be like, Hey, I see you. I'm so sorry. Me too. How is your experience? Can I do anything for you? Like you're not alone kind of a thing. And by the end of our conversation, it, 
it was just one of those things like, well, how, we're so pissed off that, that like doctors are treating women this way. What do we do to change it? And <laughs> it was the funniest thing. My husband had just ordered me this microphone and didn't tell me. <sighs> and he was going to get it for me for Christmas and say, a podcast is next. You've been talking about it. It's time. Like, just just do it. And so he ordered it off of Amazon Aww. for me. And so around the time that he had told me that the microphone was coming and I'd been, you know, playing around on the computer with like names and what would I do and what would I say kind of a thing. After a few conversations with Ashley, she was like, I've got a crazy idea. And she sent a text in all big letters, podcast. And I'm like, you know what? Yeah, let's do it. And so um, I named it The Undelivered because we talk about all the undelivered information on really everything now. Cause we just did a episode on uh, like wine culture, you know, and if women specifically push it too far, but again, that's a stigma that we shouldn't push around. But anyways, um, yeah, it's called the undelivered and, and Ashley is my co-host and I love having her perspective on things because we're a bit different and we don't always see eye to eye on every topic, which I think is great because we, you know, talk about both sides of things and what I really really love is that she is a nurse by education mm, and trade God. and so she is always like well I don't think that's true you know and she's got the hospital experience and the nursing degree so when we talk about medications that women take or um, certain diets that women go on to try to be more fertile or just any any given topic I love how she has that healthcare background knowledge that can really just kind of level out some things. And um, we were on a ranked, I, I don't know how this works, podcast thing. Uh, we were in the top 50 uh, American podcast for personal journals, which was great. And um, we're about to wrap up season two because she's very, very pregnant with her second child Aww. after a horrible miscarriage. Um so I'm hoping that we can wrap up season two before she goes into labor, but yeah, it's the undelivered and it was just the best little surprise, um, that we started and I hope it, I hope it keeps going. I know it's hard, right? Like I'm, I feel like to keep a podcast going, you either need like great interviews or big, I don't know. I'm sure you understand that struggle, but <clears throat> speaking yeah. of surprises, what surprised you most about podcasting? It could be something you've learned from a guest hmm. or an interview or just a chat, or it could be something that <laughs> a reaction or some sort of response from the internet you didn't see coming good or bad. Oh yeah. People have plenty of opinions on the internet. Uh -huh. um, uh -huh. Never a shortage of those. I think what was surprising to me is the support that we got from people that, that was really, really great. And then also, um, I always thought that people would want to share their own stories, but I've really, really been appreciative. A lot of people on Instagram, I run polls a lot. If we're going to talk about something that needs debating or voting, you know, on the podcast and people are so willing to privately share their stories, you know, they know that we're going to talk about it on the podcast. And I thought it would be like pulling teeth to get things out of people, but we've the two really, really hard um, episodes that we've done is on women's rights and abortion and um, drinking culture. And people just, I'm so appreciative. They, they, we we're not owed any of their personal private information, but they just so willingly are like, 
you know, my best friend had an abortion when we were in high school and they tell me the, the rundown of it. And I'm not owed any of that information or, you know, on the last episode, people talked about their parents who were alcoholics. And I'm just so thankful that we've set up a community. So that was very surprising to me that, because I thought, you know, it would be like, please tell me something, tell me anything that we can put on the podcast, but we've got endless DMs of women just sharing their heart with us. And I'm just so thankful for that. And I'm not surprised by that, knowing you and the way that you are so vulnerable, but yet relatable when I see you on social media and your podcast. And I think you do a really good job at this. And at the end of the day, I think it's what a lot of people, women specifically want, and it's to feel seen and heard. People just want to feel some sort of empathy and understanding even, you know, sharing stories, for example, nothing's going to change the past. Nothing's going to, that you say or do is going to fix anything in their personal lives or in politics or anything, no matter where, what angle you spin it from, unless you somehow divinely can intervene and change the makeup of their family and give them a baby or do whatever, you know, things you can't do, but people just want that understanding and like, Hey, I see you. I feel you. I'm here with you. We don't have to agree on every single thing, but this can suck for you. And I can be there through you, through it with you, or, you know, maybe you're celebrating something and I want to make you feel seen and heard there. And you talk about things that not like they're polarizing or like always something with a stigma, but you do talk about things that are just kind of sometimes like uncomfortable, like birth control. Let's talk about the reality of birth control. You know, like let's talk about like you're saying this most recent conversation, which I found very interesting. And I weighed in on some of your polls, like wine and how do we celebrate if it's or not just wine, but alcohol, like how do we celebrate with or without alcohol? What does life look like in moderation or sober or whatever you want to do? And I just appreciate that. And I just want to say that I think a lot of people feel that way. And that's why what you're doing is clearly making such a difference and why people keep resonating with you. Thank you. I needed that. (laughs) Well, on that note, moving forward, you have the book, you have the podcast, you have your Instagram that's growing every day. You have so many outlets, you have the guides and I want to know what's next. I mean, are we writing another book? Like how can we support you? How can we connect with you? What's in the future? Oh, I wish you could tell me, honey. I wish somebody <laughs> could tell me. That's so funny. I was just, I also have a newsletter and I was trying to, you know, articulate that I'm, I'm kind of at a crossroads and I hate using cliched terms like that, but I do, I have my book and I've got my podcast and I love connecting with people on Instagram and I've got my miscarriage guide, um, which is totally free and it will always be free, but my, my longer and more specific grief guides are on my website and you pay to download those. Um, as of right now, the next thing on the horizon that I see is, uh, talking to nursing schools and med students in the fall about real life patient understanding of what it's like to go through a miscarriage. Mm -hmm. Um, And then beyond that, I don't know. I think I will write another book one day, but that is years, years from now. I want to make sure, um, you know, that I, I don't know. I flew so fast into the first one. Like I felt like it was sitting on my chest and I couldn't breathe until I got it out. And now I'm like, okay, I can, I can take my time. And now with a small child, you you have to really plan (laughs) things like that out. Um, but I, yeah, just keep trying to spread my message. You know, I think 
our society is getting a little bit better about talking honestly about miscarriage and infertility. Um, so if I can just contribute to that daily of opening up that door a little bit wider each day to have a more honest conversation to help women, that's all I've got up my sleeves for now. Um, oh, that's all. That's a lot. And if you're <laughs> listening and you're like, Hey, I'm totally connecting with this girl. I want to find either the guides or even just chat. You're really good about responding to Instagram messages and connecting with people there. So I'll link all of that in the show notes so people can chat with you one-on-one and, or buy your book, your guides and stay in the know with all things Bailey coming forward. And, you know, I wrap every conversation with in your own words, what does it mean to live well, but you've answered that before and I'm sure it's changed, but I want to spin the question a little. Okay. And I want you to picture that your son could see you living well. And if he told people that you lived well, how would he describe that? What would that look like from your son's perspective? Why are you making me cry? I'm so sorry. Oh my gosh. That's such a beautiful question. Um, you know, somewhere in scripture, it says her children rise up and call her blessed. Um, so I would just hope that if he has any point of reflection in his future and he thinks that I lived well, um, that it would be, we lived a simple good life of laughter and love and connection. And that when he thought of me, he would think of how much I loved him and how hard I fought for him. Mm. That was beautiful. I can't believe you made me cry. (laughs) You know, I was, I'm going to say, I'm sorry, but I'm, you're not, I'm not, I'm not sorry because I'm not, I don't think those are bad tears. I think those are just obvious tears of such gratitude and Mm. of the fact, just reflective of the fact that you are living well and that you have so much in your life that's pointing you in such a good direction and I'm grounding you at the same time. And I'm just, I'm grateful for what you're doing. And I know a lot of people feel that way about you. And I'm so grateful that you were willing to come back and chat with me again. Thank you. I will say, you know, my husband and I were talking about this the other day. If people look at our story with our son and they, and they think it was easy, we have lied to you. Um, <laughs> I, I think I'm going to start open up, opening up more about that a little bit at a time about um, what it's really been like to, to go through our journey to get to parenthood, but thank you for all Mm -hmm. that. (laughs) If that's something that someone's going through adoption, fostering, any of that, is that something else that people can chat with you about on Instagram? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. 100% people, people are very fascinated by the foster care system and adoption. Um, and they ask, I don't think they mean to be inappropriate, but they ask about, and this isn't just me. I know this from other friends of mine who've adopted children. They love a comeback story, right? They want to know about how, where they were born and how their situation was and what happened. And they think that you've rescued this child and that's not true. And if it is, he, he rescued us in tenfold, you know, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm an open book most of the time, but, uh, adoption and foster care. Again, I didn't make this up and I know you're trying to wrap up. I'm sorry. I feel like we're (laughs) getting on another tangent, but the, 
somebody once said that any adoptive family was built on the grave of a broken family, right? Don't mm-hmm. ask. It, it's not good, you know? Um, so it, it is, it's just the hardest, wildest, most redeeming, beautiful thing. Um, but adoption, you know, there's all these hashtags for like Instagram posts and TikToks about adoption rocks, adoption saves and hashtag all this BS. And I look at some of those and I'm like, adoption is the hardest thing I've ever been through. Mm-hmm. And I don't want, I don't want the fact that my son is adopted to be like his only, you know, identifying trait, right? Like he will be more than his birth story. I will make sure of that. But it's just people have these preconceived ideas, you know, about like the blind side, like adopting (laughs) people, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or, um, I don't, I don't know people, or they don't want to think about things. It's just, it's just been the most bizarre journey of what people will ask or assume about an adoption story. Um, but yes, I'm, I'm, I'll be more than happy to talk to anybody about the fostering aspect or, or adoption. I know that's why I'm here. So. Mm. Yeah. Thank you so, so much. Again, connect with Bailey. Everything's linked. You can buy her Mm -hmm. book on Amazon. I know she's locally in a lot of stores. It's called having a baby and other things I'm bad at. Very good. You'll laugh, you'll cry, <laughs> you'll feel all the feels. Cannot recommend it enough. Thank you again for being here. I really do appreciate you. Thank you so much, Sarah. I'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Well Being Well Said, the podcast. If you liked what you heard and you would like to support me, it would mean so much if you would subscribe to the show, rate and review and spread the word. Tell your friends, tag me on Instagram, all the things that really does help me grow and helps me create more content that I can put out for you all.